Okay, well, I am delighted to say that on the Godcast uh, today, we are joined by a former professional footballer for Burnley and Bolton Wanderers and Colm Dynamos um, uh, and retired policeman and now working in the funeral sector, Derek Scott. Derek, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Alex. How are you today? Okay. I'm very well, thank you. Yes, it's a peaceful Saturday. There's not much footy knocking around today, is there? It's very quiet. It is. Obviously, with the internationals happening, it's all gone quiet on the domestic front. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got some. I've got some questions lined up for you. Um, I think the first thing I want to know is, is, if I could ask you this, Derek, is that I think every every kid who loves football grows up dreaming that one day they might actually make the grade and live out that dream and be a professional footballer. And you are what I would describe as one of a select group of people that actually did that and did that at a very high standard. Um, when you were a boy, what was the dream? And looking back, do you think you, you lived it? Well, looking back over the years, um, being from the Northeast, uh, everybody has the ambitions to play for the hometown club. And for, for me as a youngster, it was Newcastle United. Um, that didn't happen, of course, for various reasons, um, one of which is Burnley. That's why I'm still here. Uh, but the dream was fulfilled. I came down to Burnley at the age of 16, um, signed as an apprentice, and then went on from there. What was what was that like, Derek, that, that idea of moving away from home to come to Burnley? Were, were you excited or were you quite fearful? I was very excited because, actually, I'd been involved with the club since I was 13, um, I came down as a schoolboy and basically settled in because of, there was a lots of um, people from the northeast down here. Uh, I came down with a guy called Ray Hankin, who's a couple of years older than me, and of course went on to play first-team football at Burnley and Leeds. And um, I ended up coming down, staying in various hotels when I was coming down during school holidays. And then 12 months before I came to Burnley, I went and stayed in my digs that I was there until I got married. Uh, and my digs partner was Ian Brennan, who was the left back at Burnley at the time. And um, I was very lucky that I settled in very quickly. Mm. Did you, was Burnley always the, the, going to be the option or were there other opportunities? As I said, Newcastle was an option. Um, I went down to West Bromwich and Arsenal and things like that. But the biggest thing for me was coming to Burnley was it was like coming from home. There was a lot of people here, as I said, from the northeast, which was then from the manager, um, Jimmy Adamson. And then you had Dave Blakey, who was the chief scout, um, of course, and other Geordies that were here playing at the time, Colin Morris and people like that. Uh, so to help you settle in, and, and also it was very difficult set, uh, different setup at Burnley than it was at the other clubs. Everybody trained together. So as a schoolboy at thirteen, it was very exciting for me to be playing and training with people like Frank Casper and, and uh, Colin Waller and Martin Dobson and Dave Thomas and people like that um, right from an early age, and you learn very quickly. Uh, so it was different in that respect. So just uh, thirteen—that's quite young, isn't it? So so. Was it way before that that people were kind of making noises about your potential? Was it kind of uh, nine, ten? What kind of age was it? People started thinking that you could make the grades. Probably, probably eleven, twelve years of age. Um, the scouting system in those days were very was vast. It, it was obviously it's different now because of the Premier League. But in that in those respects, Burnley were very, very renowned for the scouting system throughout the country uh, and getting talent to the club. 
because obviously the club was a selling club at the time and um, they sold people on. Um, but when I the, the settling thing for me is when I came to Burnley was was the aspects of being made to feel part of it straight away. And once my mind was made up, I didn't want to change it from there. No, no. And just before that, kind of growing up in, in the northeast, what, what was the family background like? Was there any church connections as a boy or, or not? Well, I, funnily enough, there was because I, I was a member of the Boys Brigade in, in, in those long days ago. And one of the obviously things that we had to do, we had to go to Sunday school on, on, on Sunday mornings. Um, and I went there quite quite for quite a number of years until obviously the situation was where I was playing football a lot of the time and you didn't get to go to the Boys Brigade because you were doing other things. No. Were, you, were your parents from a quite religious or not? Not really. Um not, but they, to be fair, they did make say if you want to do your additional things with the boys' brigades, then you're going to have to go. So they made you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so they were quite strict with that side of it. It was very much the same for me as a kid growing up in Westhorn. Was like, you know, if you go to Cubs, you've got to go to the family parade, and uh, at which point I was kicked out, which was because <laughs> I didn't want to go to right. church, you know. Um, and some years later, I ended up taking a a service of Holy Communion up at Worcester, which was completely surreal after being kicked out of the Cubs. But anyway, that's, <laughs> that, that's another story. So um, when when you look back at, at those formative years as a footballer, are there any people that stick out as, uh, you know, role models and people that you still hold in the highest regard now? Well, I mentioned the person before, um, Martin Dobson. I, I, I hold that guy in the highest esteem. Um, Funnily enough, we uh, as I work in the funeral industry now, um, we did we did a funeral for a, a chap over in Clitheroe, and his name was Dobson. And I wondered whether this chap was going to be related to Martin. And yeah. funnily enough, when we turned up in the cars, Martin it was Martin's brother, so he was actually there. Really? Gosh, yeah. So so that, that was only a couple of weeks ago, about three weeks ago. But I still have the highest esteem for that man. He, he was um, he was our captain, our leader. He led the younger players. Uh, very well set examples that you know you try to maintain. It was very difficult because of the standards he played at. But uh, as a person, he was an exceptional person, uh, yeah. held in high esteem by everybody. Yeah. Who was uh, who were the managers kind of when you were starting there? Who was 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 Harry Potts around in those days? Well, when I first signed at Burnley, Jimmy Adamson was the manager then, and. and down the years, obviously, the face has changed. Joe Brown took over from him. And then uh, Harry Potts came, of course. And my father-in-law, Brian Miller, then became manager. Uh, succeeded after that by Frank Casper. I played under a few people at that place. And then, of course, John Bond came. And John Benson, who was my last manager, and I left and went to Bolton Wonders then. Yeah. John Bond is obviously the name that kind of everybody associates with the demise of Burnley. What, do you put it down to him or, or was it something else, do you think? I, I don't think you can put it down to one person because there's lots of things involved with with running a football club. Um, but obviously he came to the place from a big city club at Manchester in Manchester City and tried to impose on our club the same beliefs that they had as a city club. And it, it just doesn't work at Burnley. Um, but in defence of the man, I've got to say, as a coach, I learned he was second to none. As a coach on the training ground, he was really, really good. 
Mm. But as a man manager and a person to deal with face to face, he wasn't the best. No, I, I I remember vaguely as a young lad. You know, we, everybody was was raving when he took over because some of these big names like Tommy Hutchinson and and Jerry Gow and Steve Daly came into the club, and I think everybody was excited. But it just turned quite sour, didn't it? Yeah, I, Tommy Hutch. To be fair, was it was a great signing for Burnley. I thought I thought he played some great stuff when he was here. Um, Unfortunately, when they signed Kevin Reeves, Kevin Reeves was already injured when he came to Burnley and, and he only lasted six or seven months and he, of course, had to retire. Uh, but uh, if you weren't part of the City setup, then he didn't really want to entertain you, John Bond. It was a case of that. It was a, a definitely a them-enough situation at that time. Yeah. And a, and a player that I remember as, as a boy and was really disappointed that he left was was Trevor Stephen. Was was he around when you were at the club or was that was that after your time or...? Well, funnily enough, when, Tre when Trevor started as a 17-year-old, his first ever appearance in the first team, he came on as substitute for me. Really? So that, yes, I was around. And, and uh, Trevor was my roommate occasionally. Now, he was obviously destined for greater things because of the ability that he had, and, and that was proven, uh, going on to play in World Cups and winning league championships and stuff like that um, with, with Everton and Rangers and over in France. Um, I don't know what he's doing. I, I do know that he had a... Uh, he was a soccer agent at one point. He does quite a lot of media work in, abroad for Eurosport and things like that still. Yeah, he was a great player, wasn't he? Oh, it's outstanding, outstanding. You, there's just certain people that you can tell um, are going to be, you know, go up to a higher level and play what quite a long time at that level. What is it, Derek, that, that sets them apart? Is it the brain? Is it just natural ability? Is it fitness? What, what do you think it is? Well, I, I think a lot of it is down to the natural ability and and how you best use that natural ability. And Trevor had, he was very single-minded as what he wanted to achieve. Uh, and he went a long way and, and achieved what he did, you know. So as far as I'm concerned, I wasn't surprised that he did. Yeah. Okay. But that was, that, was, that was instigated by Martin Dobson. He ended up going to Everton and obviously Martin was... Uh, our captain when Trevor was playing there and he end, that's how he ended up going to Everton. Yeah, yeah. I just want to take you back, Derek, to my first ever game going on Turf Moor. I'm going to see if you can tell me what it was. You played in it. It was on the 12th of September in 1978 and I was nine. Um, and my dad dragged me off after about 60 minutes saying, you're never coming here again. Have you any idea what game that might have been, Derek? I've no idea, Alex. I'm sure you'll enlighten me. I am going to enlighten you, Derek. It was the Anglo-Scottish Cup match against Celtic at Turf Moor. Do you, do you remember that? Yes, game? I do remember that. I do remember that very well. Yes, it was. Uh, so it was one of the. Funny enough, I'm still connected to the club, and I do match day tours on on uh, the games and stuff. And one of the stories I tell is about the Celtic game. And that's the first time I ever, I'd ever appeared at Turf Moor and it was like playing in an away game because the whole ground was more or less green and white. Um, and of course, the, 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 the situation of it, the, the right stuff, it, well, it was well documented. Uh, we got took off the pitch and then they got things calmed down after half an hour. And unfortunately for me, I was playing down the right-hand side where most of their supporters were in the old long side and there was chunks of glass on the pitch and then we still played and got it, got it done. Uh, but unfortunately, it, it was going wrong swimmingly until Steve Kinden scored. Everything, everybody was happy and singing and all that sort of stuff. And then, of course, Steve scored and then the rest is history after that. Yeah. 
for, for people who are watching this who, who aren't, aren't aware, there used to be this cup tie between English and Scottish teams and Burnley won it that year, didn't we? won it, didn't we? We did win it, yeah. The Celtic game was, I think it was the quarterfinals. Um, and we, we beat them at home 1-0. And then we had, we had to go back, we had to go up to Scotland the week after and play the second leg, which was quite daunting, to be honest with you. But uh, we managed to win up there as well. So that was quite good. We, we beat them convincingly. So for, for a week, we were champions of the United Kingdom because Scotland, uh, because Celtic were the Scots champions at the time. Yeah, my old man who's passed away now, he was like, he was a cockney. We never come in here again, again, Alex. No, but uh, I did and still do. So there we are. Um, so well, just, many, that's, many do that, Alex. Football's a religion to many people in this town. Yeah, it is. Well, it, it's true and it is across the world. I, I um, We went to Spain a couple of years ago and I was lucky, lucky enough to visit the Barcelona New Camp and... Uh, I couldn't believe that they actually had a chapel in the in the um, you know in the tunnel there. There's actually a, a chapel, and I was like, "Gosh, you know." But there is there is definitely a spiritual connection between football and fans and football and players, isn't there? Yes, you're you're very lucky. I've never been to that stadium, uh, but my, my other half hour, she went to Barcelona with some uh, friends, and she she actually wanted to go on the stadium to a, one of the few that did, and, and she really enjoyed it. So I'm a bit jealous of that. Yeah. It is an incredible place. It is. Um, yeah. I just want to move on to uh, how it all ended at Burnley for you in terms of your playing career, Derek. How did that come about? Well, I'd been there, obviously, since I was 16 and I got to the stage at 27 where it was a crossroads for me. I, I, I just needed a fresh challenge, to be honest with you. And I didn't envisage going anywhere at that time. But in the Easter time, just before the, when the transfer window was open at Easter, Bolton Wanderers came in for me before the season ended. And they tried to do a swap deal with Jeff Chandler, who was at Bolton at the time, coming to Burnley. And at that time, I said I said no. I actually went over and spoke to him over, at, over in, in Bolton. And I said no at the time. And uh, and then some of them came back again. And it, it just seemed the right time to make that move. And I did. Yeah. And was, it, was Phil Neal the main manager during those days? No, Phil, Phil Neal came out about six months after I'd gone there. He, he uh, There was a guy called Charlie Wright, who was a, an ex-goalkeeper at Bolton, who was the manager. Uh, and his assistant was Walter Joyce, who was Warren Joyce's dad and played at Burnley in the early 60s uh, with my father-in-law. So um, I went over and spoke to them and I was happy enough to say, well, I don't have to move from Burnley. I can still travel from here. Um, my base will still be my, my hometown. Uh, well, what was my... Adopted hometown, and uh, I went over there and signed for the for them, and and spent three three happy years there. Yeah, and but was um, when I when I was growing up, you know, Liverpool were the kind of the, the I mean, it's taken them a long time to get back to where they were, but they they ruled the roost, didn't they, in the eighties, Liverpool, and Phil Neal was well, a, as I say, Phil Neal was a, I think he's one of the most decorated footballers, wasn't he, in in the country? What was he like, Derek? I think he uh, he was at the time the most decorated player in the country. I think he's been surpassed by Ryan Giggs now, obviously with the Manchester United ex uh, ex uh, trophy winning years and stuff. Um, Phil Neal came to Bolton about six months after I got there, and I was expecting more from him. To be honest, I I thought with all his England experience and his European experience and stuff like that, um, it would be exciting. So, I, but it didn't turn out that way. I might be. 
barked up the wrong tree, but I actually fell out with him towards the end of my career at Bolton. Um, however, he didn't bear any grudges. He still made me captain of the, of the team at the end of the season, so he didn't bear any grudges with that. So, you know, I'm thankful for that, really. Yeah. And then, uh, while I was looking, I just had a quick look on Wikipedia, and then Colin Dynamos, which then you think, oh, God, yeah, Chalky White, Colin Dynamos... And but it, it doesn't have you playing any games. Did you did you play any games for Colin Dynamos? Because on the Wikipedia it said yeah, I spent uh, how long did I spend there? Two two seasons at Dynamos. Um, when they got from when they won the Northern Premier League and, and got well, the first season they, they finished. I don't know where they finished, but where they finished. But the next season we won the championship. They went full time the year after, and they brought the guy in who was the Morecambe manager, Joe Bodjohovic, who came in and 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 was the manager then. But then he signed all sorts of players. He, he, he had uh, myself, Billy Rodaway, you had Alan Kennedy, who was at Liverpool, the left yeah. back there. Uh, there's a lot of league experience and, and, and Graham ploughed a lot of money into it um, to the stage where he, he'd got promoted and won the league and got promoted to the Football League. But the, the ground just wasn't up to standard. Uh, nowhere near, anywhere near standard. So, and, and shortly after that, he called a meeting on the pitch at, up at Old House and just said, I'm drawing a line under it, and that's it. It's 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 being closed down. Gosh. That was all within a week or two after winning the league, you know. So that came to a, an abrupt halt. Yeah. Where were you training with Dynamos, Derek? Where was you training? We there? trained up at the ground. We trained up at Holt House. Uh, there's obviously lots of, I don't know whether you've actually been up there, but there's lots yeah. of playing around the area. Um, and we used, we used to train up there. Yeah, I do. I do know it, Derek. I, you, you won't know because you don't. But I used to be a. I was. A, I am a class one football referee. Actually, I was fully qualified, and uh, I think I probably did some of the. I used to do quite a lot of trials matches down at Burnley, but I just struggled with my fitness really. So, uh, so I never quite made made it as far far as I had hoped to. But I had some wonderful experiences. Um, yeah, and um, and so, Con Dynamo's finishes, and then you're. You're contemplating retirement, obviously. Um, I, I hear so many stories about footballers that kind of just really struggle at the end of their football playing career. And, they, you know, some people are going to, in those days, the pub scene was very popular, wasn't it? Or, um, you know. Well, that's right. I mean, uh, the, the biggest example that we'd know, because obviously in, in, a, in our village in Worcester, Andy Lockard was the licensee at the, at the pub there for quite a long time. So, um, Tommy Cummins, who was obviously in the great 60s side as well, he ended up being a, a, a landlord at the Shooter's Arms in Nelson. Yeah. So it, it was a pub trade, was one of the things that um, footballers went into. Unfortunately, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to experience other things. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, when I, when I actually finished, I went working for Samuel Cook's Oil Company in Paddyham. Uh, a good friend of mine was one of the directors there. So I worked there. And then after that, I did probably about 18 months at Kirk Scaffolds in Paddyham. So I did a bit of scaffolding. That was all right. And then after that, I joined the police. So, and did that for almost 25 years. Yeah. Did you, did you find the break from football difficult, Derek? Or was it, was it all right for you? No, it was all right because I carried on playing um, with, with Bank, Burnley Bancor, where Ian Britton was the manager yeah. and then at, at, uh, at Dynamo's as well. So, I didn't miss it that much, but also I was I was involved with um, the Centre of Excellence down at Burnley. So I spent three years working coaching with the kids down there, and took took lads from fourteen 
through three years of the development up to under 16 level and then obviously working in the police I just couldn't commit to it anymore but I did enjoy doing that so I didn't have a complete break from it I was still involved in it yeah and then the police force came around was was had you been thinking about that for a while or was it quite by chance or how did that come around well I, I had thought about that when I'd finished it at, uh, at 30, 30 years of age but then by the time my 31st birthday came I applied and and um, I got rejected because there was an age limit on them. They actually had an age limit of 30, but I was 31, so I couldn't get in. And literally 12 months later, um, my wife said, oh, they've relaxed the age limit on the place. Why don't you reapply? So I did, and I, I applied and got in at 32. And when, when you became a copper, you, you I mean, I, see, I saw you in Burnley. I, I do wonder what it was like for you because you're one of those people Derek that, that played for Burnley and still uh, still live in the town you know people like uh, Brian Flynn still knocking about and uh, my family uh, were friends with Arthur Bellamy's family and uh, you know there was you're you're in that group aren't you of, of ex-Burnley players that still still are in the town so when you became a, a copper I guess you were spotted quite frequently were you? I was and it, it to be fair one of the questions they did ask me when I got in, in the police was, how would you feel about policing in your, in your own town? And I said, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Um, and there were lots and lots of situations that my former job, obviously playing at the football club and being involved in that side of it, helped me do the police job because it, it you know, it, it brought situations down that might have ignited in other, other directions um, and, and, it, and it opened doors for me for, um, police work to, to go into the community and stuff like that so it, it did help me in, in a, a big way being involved with the football club and then working in Burnley as a police officer. Yeah I've got a friend of mine who's called Richard Booth who is a Baptist minister who at the time. I know was, Richard well. Yeah and he, he said remember him remember me to, to you and he does and uh, he tells the story of uh, the Baptist church on uh, which is in our parish upon Rosehill Road. Friday nights were quite legendary I believe. That's right. We, well, I was the community police officer for um, for Rosehill area, and my, I met Richard many years ago. And one of the community things that we got involved in that we had a lot of problems with youngsters roaming the streets and um, disturbing uh, residents and stuff like that. And we set about setting up some sort of youth club uh, at the Baptist Church, and we got the kids involved by getting them to decorate and, and clean out the building and all that sort of thing. And, and it, it became their sort of their bastion to, to be there. And, and it, it cut down a lot of the problems that they were having of kids running around the streets. But even though it was just for a few hours on a Friday night, uh, they were challenging at times, I must admit, as teenagers can be. Um, but it, with a bit of patience or something, a lot of them weren't bad kids, really. If, if, you, you, know, if you got to grips with them, they, they tend to tore the line. Yeah. Yeah, well, our, our, my church is just across the road from there, and I, you're absolutely right about the kids. They're, they're not changed at all, but, you know, there's some lovely kids around there that just need some steering, a bit of direction. I, I love working around there. It's clear, Derek, for me that you, you're a bit like my old man, actually. He, he came from down south and you came from up north, but when he got to Burnley, there was never any prospect that he was going to leave. It's clear that you've got a real love and affinity for Burnley. Is that fair to say? I have, and and for I I still go home um, back to the northeast two or three times a year. But this I, I regard this as my home now because of my obviously 
uh, I made my life here with my family. I married a Burnley girl. My lads both were born and grew, grew up here. And all my friends are here. And, and with all due respect to the Northeast, I couldn't go back there and, and live there full time now because this is my home. Um, it's, uh, I'm an adopted Lancastrian, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, lovely. Um, and then uh, when the police force uh, finished and... Um, you know, there's not. I don't think there are many ex-footballers working in the funeral industry. How did how did that come around, Derek? Well, fully enough, that was through a police colleague of mine as well, um, who was working full time for the company I work for now. And I just happened to have a conversation with Alan, and and I said to him, I don't I don't want to work full time. I just want to do it, you know, on a casual basis. I've worn a full time T-shirt, and it's it was time to like wind down a little bit. And I just said to him, I said, is there any chance of any casual work going there? And uh, he made a few phone calls and literally a day later, he went, oh, I went over to Blackburn for an interview and, and I've been doing it ever since, just over three and a half years now. And do you enjoy it? I do. It's, uh, I, I can pick and choose when I work. If I, if I don't want to work next week, I don't have to. If I want to work, if I want to work every day, I can. Um, but I do like the side of it where... It's, it's giving a service to, to people who've lost a loved one and it's their last act to say goodbye to the loved ones and you, you try and do the best you can to make the experience good for them in difficult circumstances. It's a real privilege. I, I, I see it as a real privilege actually to kind of um, just walk with people in their kind of their darkest hour and um, just, um, I think I think when you in the industry, as we both are now, um, people... You know, I come sometimes come and say to my, oh, I've done a funeral today, or oh, as though it's just normal. But but it it's there's there's an interesting camaraderie, would you say, amongst the the funeral fraternity, and there's a bit of a dark humour as well at times. There is, but that's part and parcel of the enjoyment of the job. Because one of the great things I I always say is that if I don't enjoy something, I won't do it. If I stop enjoying it, then I won't do it. But I enjoy working with the people I work with and, and I enjoy doing the job that I do and giving the service to the people that, that you know, they, they deserve. So as long as I enjoy that, I'll carry on doing it. Yeah. Does it make you, just to go a little bit deeper, I don't want to go too deep on this interview, Derek, but does it does it make you contemplate things in any way? You know, does it make you think about death in a, in a different way to maybe how you thought about it before? Well, it does because you... you you see the ages of some of the people that are that have um, passed on, and you think, well, that's a, it's a little bit close to home. And at this moment in time, we we ask my wife and I, we we look after a ninety-five-year-old uh, gentleman that that's part of became part of our family through my father-in-law, and he has no other family. So, and, and you think, well, he's ninety-five years, and he's coming to the end of his end. You've got to try and do things and make things as 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 easy as you can for him. But bearing in mind that. I'm 62 years of age and the years creep on you quite quickly, don't they? You know, so it's, it's you just think about things in the future and how long you've got to, to go, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I certainly think about how quickly I, I was watching last night at Top of the Pops from 1990. And I was thinking to myself, Cracky, that's that's a long time ago. But I, when I was watching it, it felt like yesterday. You know, and, yeah, it's, it's true. I, I mean, I, I think that with, with my lads, I mean, it, it doesn't seem five minutes. And I mean, I watch my grandson play football now and he's he's 10 and it doesn't seem five minutes since I was watching Chris and Paul play football. And they're now 
40 and 35 years of age. So, you know, you just think, where have those years gone? Yeah. And has the grandson got any potential to make the grade, Derek? He's got ability. That's that's all you can say at 10 years of age. He's got ability. Yeah. And it's a very, very difficult thing to get into um, to play professional football uh, and, and actually make a career of it. So... Hopefully, he'll carry on doing what he's doing. And if, if he's good enough, then he may get a chance to do it. Yeah. I think people don't realise actually how tough it is. When I, when I used to do some of the trials matches, um, I used to ref in, and watch players and I think, God, they're fantastic. They're going to be superstars. And most of them don't make it. And uh, I, I, um, I know a family, um, probably best not to say the name, but he was on the books at United. And uh, he's recently stopped playing professionally, but he was the only one of that year group who was playing professionally into his kind of late twenties. He's not yet. It's not. It's it's, it's football is very much like a conveyor belt, Alex. It, it's people get on at the start, and some people fall off after two years when their apprentices come to an end. Some people sign pro, and after two years as a pro, they fall off off the conveyor belt, which is what. My lads did. They, they were lucky enough to get to the end um, of apprenticeships, get signed professional and play first-team football at Burnley. But their, their time came to an end a couple of years after that. So, And some people, like myself, go on to 30 years of age, which was quite a long time. I, I spent 11 years in pro football. So people jump off the, off that conveyor about the different eight stages and, and go on to do other things. Yeah. And to bring that kind of football story full circle, like you said, you... You're doing an ambassadorial role at Burnley, don't you, on match days? That must be enjoyable. I really enjoy that. I've been doing that for just, just over three years, obviously, with the, the COVID situation. Well, there's no nobody allowed there at the, down at the ground. But um, on a match day, we uh, we meet and greet the people. We make them feel at home, which is what happens at our club anyway, because it's a family family club. And I take them on a ground tour and the dressing rooms and, and, and things like that. And... Uh, it's nice because at the end of it all, you get regular supporters and they are just Burnley fans with a bit more money, if you understand what I'm saying, spending on a match day. Yeah. Uh, but they still appreciate the match day experience and, and want to be around um, the club itself. Yeah. And your assessment of the club now, Derek? I mean, there's been a lot of stick, hasn't there, over the last few weeks because they've not spent any money, really. What's your take on that? Well, people can give directors and, and all that sort of thing stick. But at the end of the day, we're, we're now six years in the Premier League and to, to maintain that in the Premier League in, the, in this day and age is, is absolutely outstanding. It's on, on the budget, we must have the lowest budget in, in the Premier League and Sean Dice and his staff have done an outstanding job to keep us where we are. Yeah. Uh, and also, I mean, the directors, they get stick as well, but they, they have to cut the cloth. If you look at other clubs who've sold the souls, people like Sunderland and Blackburn and Bolton Wanderers and people like that have sold the souls to stay there, and they've, they've suffered since. And yeah. I don't think that we, we are going to be in that position because of good management. Yeah. And just looking at that Burnley squad now, which kind of players stand out for you as your favourites and real top quality players that we've got there at the moment? Well, I've, I've been, obviously, Dwight McNeil's been at the top of the, the list over the last 12 months or so. Um, but my, one of the people I really like watching who's improved a, a real lot since he came, and that's Charlie Taylor. I think he's... And outstanding, he's been outstanding and he's performed at a high standard quite quite consistently well. Yeah. Um, and of course, our, our centre-off, that's valued highly, is, is, is Mr Tarkovsky. But 
he had a bit of a dip, which is now he's got over and he's back to his best again. Derek, my, my favourite player, and, and I think I get a lot of stick off my friends, is Chris Wood. I, I just think he's a, I just think he's a top striker, but maybe I maybe I'm wrong. Am I wrong or am I right? No, no, you're not wrong, Alice, because various people get stick, don't they? And, and one of the people who got lots of stick over the last couple of years was Jeff Hendrick. Now he's gone to Newcastle, and basically it showed how much he was missed because mm. supporters are talking about we shouldn't have let him go for a free. And Chris Wood, whatever people uh, say about him, he was brought here from Leeds to score goals and that's what he's done. Yeah. People are measured by what they do. It's no good paying X million pounds for a player who's brought to score goals and he doesn't do it. Chris yeah. Wood answers him by putting the ball in the back of the net all the time. Yeah, He is a great finisher. I mean, uh, I, I just, he reminds me, I mean, he reminds me of Harry Kane, maybe not, maybe quite that level, but he, I just think, you know, he'd score goals wherever he was, really. Well, I, I mean, I, I agree with that. It's some people just have a knack of doing what they do and, and wherever he's been, he scored goals for the clubs he's played for. Yeah, yeah. Derek, it's been really lovely talking to you. It, this 30 minutes has whizzed by. Um, I just want to throw in a couple of random questions, silly ones, really. Um, when I'm in the cemetery, sorry, when I'm in the crematorium conducting a funeral, and you'll be aware of this, uh, we get the playlist, don't we, of, of loved ones past. And it doesn't often make me contemplate what songs I might have at my own funeral. Is there a song that you want at your funeral? Have you not even thought about that yet? No, I have actually. Um, one of the songs I have is, is, a, is, a, is a BG song and it's called Morning of My Life. It's a very nice song. I don't know whether they've heard it, but it might yeah. be worth listening to. And uh, I have to pick an Elvis song, which is If I, if I Could Dream. Which is which is a really good song. Yeah. So I have thought about it, and uh, the the list is getting shorter. Yeah, yeah. And what do you like to do when you're chilling out, Derek? When you're not working, and obviously you're kind of semi-retired. What, what what do you enjoy? Are you one of these pro golfers, or no? I'm not a pro golfer. I'm a I'm a dog walker. I like I like I've got a, a, a cocker spaniel. Uh, I like going on long walks with him. Uh, and until recently, I, I've had a bit of a problem with with a knee with my knee, but uh, over the last two or three years, we, along with my friends and uh, wife, and we climbed Ben Nevis, climbed Snowden and Scarfell Pike. So that, that was quite nice. Uh, but I like, I like going on, on travelling. Unfortunately, that's now curbed at the moment, but uh, yeah. that's one of the great loves. Yeah. And do you keep in touch with any of those old footy mates of yours? Well, I see Brian Flynn virtually every day because he only lives around the corner from me. I see um, most weeks. <laughs> and also, uh, I, I used to be in touch a lot with with um, Peter Noble until he died, because yeah. he lives across across the other estate. Yeah. Uh, and I'm in constant touch with Ian Brennan on a regular basis. Um, and until recently, we, we we used to go out every three or four weeks for something to eat, you know, just to meet yeah. him on a, yeah. on a Thursday afternoon. So yeah, we do keep in touch at times. Yeah, lovely, Derek. Really lovely chatting to you. I want I want to thank you for what you memories you gave me as a Burnley fan. I want to thank you for your work as a Bobby, because uh, I think uh, the, the old bill get a bit of a stick, but it's so needed and so appreciated. And and thank you for your your individual ministry with funerals. It's uh, it's uh, a great career and it's been really great and fascinating talking to you. Thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure, Alex, and I'm sure we'll meet again in the near future. See you at the Crown. See you later.
Thanks, Derek. I've stopped that there. That's brilliant. That that doesn't need any editing. That that's perfect. Yeah. Okay, okay.